Hey, good morning. How are you? Good. My name is R.D., and uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, let me get to where we're going this morning in my word. Okay, perfect. There we are. Um, you know, uh, who here... Who here feels weary? Everybody. Uh, my goodness, what a heavy week. What a heavy time. Uh, you know what, what? On top of it just being heavy, uh, on, I mean, I, I know you all have been uh, on one level just what's made it even more intense for me. Uh, and I think a lot of us this week is watching, you know, what's going on in Afghanistan in so many ways. And, and, and we're not getting into all of that. But I mean, my goodness me, as someone, you know, followers of Jesus, seeing people made in God's image and, and the desperation. Uh, and I just was sitting over there just freely singing these songs uh, and thinking of so many brothers and sisters around the world. Uh, and what they're going through. And I just, you know, you feel, at the same time, it's like joy to be with the people of God and everyone here and just sadness and a, and a weepingness over the state of the world. I feel like my Facebook feed now is just, you know, uh, the news feed is prayer request after prayer request, um, which is good in one sense, but in another sense, I'm like, I just gotta, I just gotta put it away for uh, a second, just the weariness of what's going on in the world and the pain of the world. And then, um, you know, with a global pandemic that continues to be ongoing, despite what we all would just wish it would go away. And it, and it just won't much less our own personal lives, things in our families, job losses, um, family uh, issues, diagnosis, trips to medical centers, uh, so many things. As a pastor, you know, you, you just have a front row seat to pain and suffering. And so there's a level built in of just having to absorb the weariness of the world without being overcome by it and pointing people somewhere. And so I thought of the song, the song that hit me, you know, this week and thinking about just where we are is the great Advent song, uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And I thought, yes, and ransom captive Israel, Afghanistan, America, me. <laughs> right, we, we are, we need the light of Jesus more than ever. Right, is, is there a place in your life and in the world where we would say, no, we need less of him. We've got enough here. Or in the midst of everything that we're walking through in your own life and in, in the world, will we say again, Lord, we know you've come. We want you to come. We want the manifestation of your presence again in this place. Because God is always present, but we want to experience his presence and his power and his light and his glory more so now than ever. In the midst of weariness, my message this morning is do not despair. Jesus is very calm on the throne, right? He's not pacing. He's not anxious. He's not wondering what is going on. He knows. He knows. Oh, come, oh, come, 
Emmanuel. Now, in the moment that we're in, there, there is, I think, an acute heaviness right now. But if you read through the Bible, what, what, what you see is the people of God are a people very much acquainted with pain and suffering and weariness. It's part of the program. It's normal. Even more so than many things that we're walking through, as tragic as those are. You read through the Bible, this is not the story of people where everything just breaks for them. Where every day is roses, right? You, just, you read one page and there's like this, you know, this hint of like, and then right, the light shone forth. And then the next page, it's like a darkness covered the land for generations. You're like, it's over. <laughs> right? Because this, the world is broken. It is so broken and darkness covers the land. And the text that we're in this morning, which is Matthew chapter 4, a huge piece of that text uh, Matthew uh, just quotes from Isaiah chapter 9. And he does it for an important reason. And so we're going to start actually in Isaiah chapter 8, which I know makes complete sense, okay? Uh, it'll, be on, it'll be on the screen. Um, Isaiah chapter 9 is the chapter where we have, for unto us a child is born. It's this amazing prophecy of the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. Uh, but right before this amazing chapter of light and glory is a chapter of darkness, because into this land in Galilee, what becomes Galilee, that we'll talk about more, the Assyrians, in about 700 BC, are making their way towards them. And so in the midst of an invading army, uh, the people are looking everywhere but God for relief, for peace. And in Isaiah chapter 8, verses 19 through 22, this is what it says about where the people are inquiring for hope and for peace. And when they say to you, there's always they, inquire of mediums who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of God? As Isaiah making obvious what we should be doing. Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living to the teaching and to the testimony? If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. People live in darkness. Don't have the light. Looking everywhere for relief goes on. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king, against their God, and turn their faces upward. And they will look to earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness." Now, not also a way to sum up the world in which we find ourselves. Gloom and anguish thrust into thick darkness as, as this uh, serious invading army comes, right? And so uh, Isaiah is saying, hey, you're supposed to be inquiring of the Lord, but you're not. You're looking to things of the earth. It's already dark, and you're making it darker because you're not going towards the light. You have no dawn. You don't know the living God. And so there's just this level of just darkness and desperation. But thankfully we have Isaiah chapter nine. There is a dawn. There is hope. We're not left to just anguish in the darkness. Verse one, Isaiah chapter nine. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish in the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. When the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. 
The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light dawned. Into that, Isaiah is speaking to the people and saying, hey, uh, relief is not going to come in a sense right now, but one day, this, this land of Naphtali and Zebulun, uh, the land of God's people, one day it will be glorious. The anguish will be gone. The gloom will be gone. The darkness will lift and the light will descend. O come, O come, Emmanuel was the prayer and the cry for the people of God for hundreds of years. God, do something. God, act. God, move. We're waiting, right? And into this promise and expectation, we come to Matthew chapter 4. And finally, at last, Jesus begins his ministry. And when we find out and realize where he does, then we understand even more of his heart and the hope that we have in and through him. So Matthew chapter 4 is where we will be, but most of it's Isaiah chapter 9 that Matthew was quoting. Pick it up at the end. Last week we worked through the temptation. Uh, this is kind of the final section here before Jesus begins calling all of the disciples, right? So Jesus is about 30 years old here. He's been, uh, you know, born in Bethlehem, grew up in Egypt, and then grew up in Nazareth, right, in, in kind of Nowhereville. Um, which is also Galilee. And uh, finally, he begins to say, okay, now is the time. So what precipitates it? Well, verse 12 says this. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, John the Baptist, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of, well, there it is again, Zebulun and Naphtali. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun, the land of Natali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is is at hand. So here we have in this moment, uh, right, John the Baptist, we've talked about many times, this crazy man who's been saying, prepare the way, uh, having hundreds and hundreds of people that are following him, right? The Roman Empire comes in, the darkness itself, right, comes in, cracks down on him, arrests him, let's shut him up, let's get him quiet. Right, so this, this kind of uh, movement of God's people is being extinguished in a sense through a worldly point of view, get him out of here, right? He's speaking truth to power, remove him. Uh, eventually, they're going to kill him. And then what we see at that, at that moment, Jesus withdraws into Galilee. So he's been hanging out kind of uh, by the Sea of Galilee. Then he goes to the, the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, which is even more backwater uh, than Nazareth, <laughs> right? And he's going to do his whole ministry in this place. Now, why does Matthew use the phrase territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, which is modern-day Galilee? So no one called it that in the first century. They quit calling it that. It's like, I don't know if this is even a good example, but I, whatever. It's like if you were writing something now about, uh, you know, kind of Louisiana and, and that, that, the western part, you might say, hey, the, the land of like the Louisiana Purchase, <laughs> 
And you're like, why would you call, why would you call it that? No one's called it that for forever. That makes sense. Just call it Louisiana, right? Call it Mississippi. Call it, it's insane. Right? What's Matthew doing? Well, he's doing a little theology with geography. That's what he's doing. He could call it Galilee, or he could call it a, a unique part of Galilee for people that have experienced great suffering and, and great pain in order to emphasize the point that where Jesus begins his ministry says everything about the type of ministry he's going to have, about the way in which the kingdom comes. He's not going to Jerusalem, right? Go into a huge leadership conference, have all the influencers there. Okay, here's how we do it. He's going from one obscure place to an even more obscure place, the land of Naphtali and Zebulun. So what happened there? Well, we read in Isaiah chapter uh, 8 about the Syrian invasion. But back up even before then, uh, these two really incredible names, Zebulun and Naphtali, are uh, names for two of Jacob's sons. So all the way back to Genesis. So Jacob you know, had so many sons, and two of them, you know, I guess he just got tired of naming. So he just said, Zebulun and Naphtali, these are your guys' names. They end up settling their families, their tribes in the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. And that's then becomes part of the northern kingdom. And they live there uh, uh, up until the time of Jesus, just generation after generation after generation. But because of, as often, the rebellion of the people, of their disobedience, right? Uh, God allows the Assyrians to come in and to subjugate them, to plunder them. And so they begin to live under the rule and the occupation of conquering empire after conquering empire. So started by the Assyrians, which is when uh, Isaiah chapter 8 is taking place. But then it just continues. Who else gets a piece of it? So the Babylonians come in. Uh, the Persians come in, the Greeks come in, and now the Romans are in charge. And so uh, of all the parts of Israel, in this section of Galilee, you have perhaps the people who have suffered the most, who are in the darkness the most, and who have been conquered the most of anybody. And not only that, because so many cultures had filled this region, Jews from other parts of Israel looked down on the Jews here because they weren't as pure. They weren't as holy, right? It was a bit suspect. Right? If you were really holy, you didn't go to Galilee. Right? It's kind of just a melting pot of craziness. They don't really like the Torah. They don't really right, go to the synagogue. They don't really do any of that. They're pretty lax about it. If you're a serious Jew, right? uh, if you want to be where God's really moving, you go to other parts of Israel right? that haven't fallen under this judgment. Right? Because if God is judging a place like this, and the people look like this, then surely God has left this place. And so into that place of all the places in all the world, Jesus begins his ministry. Why? Because in the places of great darkness is always the place where Jesus begins his work. Right? It's, all, it's always the place. He always meets us in the most... Uh, unexpected places, in the hardest places. That's where he shows up, right? It's light in the darkness. That's what it is. It talks about it here, right? The people dwelling in darkness, verse 16, have seen a great light. Those dwelling in the region and shadow of death on them, a light has dawned, right? In this place of utter darkness, that's where the light is going to shine the greatest, the brightest, and the most glorious because it's the darkest, 
right? And we all know this, just when, you, when, you, um, uh, when it's darker, you can see the light better. And that's what Jesus is showing by where he's actually moving. I mean, you just, if, you go, if you read through any of the gospels, you see that where does Jesus meet? Almost every single person is at their worst <laughs> when things are not put together for them, right? Look at the woman at the well. Woman's life, absolute train wreck. Jesus shows up. I meant to come here. Changes her life. Meets her in utter darkness. Changes her. Um, right? She's living in Galilee in a sense in her heart, in her life. <laughs> Jesus comes right at it. Right? I, we just keep going uh, here. The blind. <laughs> Talk about darkness. Right? After person, after person, after person. I mean, I'm sure he healed hundreds more people Hundreds more than we even know about. The lepers, the paralytics, the prodigals. I mean, Mary and Martha comes to them when their brother Lazarus has died, right? And we can also echo with Martha who comes out to Jesus uh, knowing a pretty good amount of who he is as a son of God and says, Lord, if you had just been here, my brother would not have died. And I've been thinking about that verse in particular this week where I think about Jesus. If you, like, I know you're here, but if you had just been here more, then maybe this would not have happened, right? And I, I feel like I have cover for that because Martha did it and Jesus just began weeping. Don't you love that? Jesus doesn't go to Martha and say, how dare you? How dare you question me? No, in fact, he lets the brokenness of the world, in a sense, break him. And I, I mean, can, can you imagine? I know we, we can't even imagine this, but so what, if you are the son of God, absolute holiness, and you walk around on planet earth in the midst of darkness and depravity and evil and suffering and pain, and your first reaction is weeping and not fire. That, that's what we see here. Jesus goes into these, the places in people's lives where they hurt the most, where they grieve the most, where they're in pain the most. And he says, we're going to start there. Because otherwise, what are we doing here? Otherwise, we're just, we're just playing game. We're not going to start there, right? right? It doesn't, doesn't meet the woman at the well when she's cleaned up her life and on to husband number seven, things are going well for her. Hey, let's tack me onto your life. No, he meets her right in the shame and in the guilt for Mary and Martha, for the woman caught in adultery, about to be stoned by all these men. He just says, hey, put down the stones, and who are you without sin? You go and cast it. They drop their stones, right? Meets her in her shame and her guilt. I mean, we can go, I just picked out a few, just, just going through John. I'm just reading the titles of things. That's all I was doing, just boom, boom, boom. You think of people in the Bible, person after person after person, he meets people on their worst day. Who else? Um, you. Right, you. Me. Everyone. Now, of course, in, in our, well, understandably, there are different uh, ways in which we encounter Jesus in terms of where we think we are, but theologically, all of us are absolute and complete darkness when he meets us and changes us. It, it may look dressed up, 
It, it may look different and we may have different stories and you may feel like, well, my testimony is not this. Their testimony is really dramatic. Mine's not as dramatic. It's completely dramatic. You were dead. You were in darkness. There was no dawn in your life. You're looking to and fro for life. Right? doesn't matter. God saved you. Light shone into your heart. You became a new creation. That is a miracle. And that's what happens for every single person. You say, well, I'm not as worthy or God, right? God had to work even, even more on me than someone else. Stop it. <laughs> Stop. It's insanity. Right? Everyone is equally lost, equally broken. Some of us just realize it more, just more aware of it. And Jesus, right? He never comes into our life to shame us or to guilt us or to condescend to us outside of him condescending in the form of a servant, It's just, it's just incredible, right? In that sense, God meets all of us in Galilee. And, all right, who, but how many of us want to be there, right? How many of us look at our lives, look at the things that God has for our life or for our family or for the world and say, doesn't feel like we should be in Galilee. <laughs> wish I was somewhere else. Wish this wasn't the plan for me, for my kids, for my family. For, wish there was a different place that I could be, Lord. I just want to right, clean up my life a, a little bit. I'll give you right about 60% of my life, Lord. Just don't, let's not, the darkness over here is too great. And right, Jesus wants all of it, right? He, he, he wants all of it. The darker, the better for him. The, the greater for him. Where he starts his ministry shows it. There was no place of greater judgment and transgression and suffering um, and backwardness than Galilee. And Jesus says, I am gonna live here. I'm going to be proximate to these people. I'm going to do life with them and ministry with them and be among them because I love them and I want them to know that the light has come. It's me. It is me. The prayers of the people for year after year after year, longing and waiting and wondering, God, what are you doing? Remember back to Isaiah uh, chapter uh, 8, though, we, we saw uh, the way in which the people... Um, as we all are, right? When, if you think about in our, in our moment right now, when the darkness comes, when we feel it, the world in our lives, right? Where do we look? Where do we, we go? It says here that the people are going to pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they're hungry, they're going to become enraged. So they're hangry, right? You know what hangry is, right? I go three hours without a meal. I'm hangry and I'm going to say some things I shouldn't say, right? Three hours, much less, right? Longing, fulfilling, and satisfaction in things when an army is bearing down, when a disease is bearing down, when a diagnosis is bearing down, right? Uh, when a marriage that's imploding is bearing down, whatever it is that's bearing down, saying, Lord, how, what do I do? Where do I go? I'm looking for anything that might give me life. And maybe we tack on church, maybe we tack on a Bible story, right? But we look so many places to try and get the darkness out of us or to just push it over here. And the people of Isaiah are no worse than us, right? But here's what happens when you're hungry, when you're looking in all the wrong places, you begin to then speak contemptuously about God. Well, God did this. The woman you gave me. The life you gave me. The season you gave me. And we all do it in different ways. We all do because we, deep down, 
We often just think we know better. God, just give me a few minutes. I know, I know better, right? And so I'm going to find the right solution. But, but Isaiah says, and we know this to be true, when you're looking for the light in the wrong places, it leads to more gloom and more anguish and more darkness, and it's just a vicious cycle that you cannot get out of. And on, on top of that, the weariness of the world and things can just feel so, um, they just feel so heavy and so thick. I know they do. They do for me. And so we are so desperate for dawn to come. And here's what's great. What are the first words that God ever speaks in the whole Bible? Let there be what? Light. And when he says it, what happens? There is light. It doesn't say, and then God made the sun. No, by God's actual voice, there is light. In fact, in the beginning, there was what? There was darkness, not light formless and void, chaos. And into that, even in creation, God says his first words, intentional, you know it, let there be light. And in a sense, that's the story of the Bible. In fact, in Revelation 22, we read that there is no sun. Why? Because you don't need the sun when you have Jesus. He's the only light you need. Let there be light in the dark places. Let, and so we pray now, Lord, let there be light and more light. I mean, this is one of the greatest scriptures here. You're probably thinking, you should reference this, R.D., and I am, I am. John 1, 4 through 5 says this, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Do not despair. The darkness has not overcome it. In fact, the light doesn't shine around the darkness. There, there's not a room where there's darkness and then there's this light room over here. Uh, Jesus shines in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of Galilee, in the darkest places. That's where the light goes. That, that's where it actually is. And so, you know, the world is very dark because we're very dark. Our hearts are very dark. And I, that's what I love about the Bible. The Bible doesn't say, actually, things are, things are not great, but they're okay. And now if we just kind of change our behavior here, everything's going to be better. No, no, no. The Bible is so realistic, saying it's even worse. <laughs> it's even worse. It's you. Right? You're dark. That's why the world is dark. And these, these solutions, right? Religion then says, try to get rid of the darkness through self-righteousness, through effort, through just trying to clean up your life and then present yourself as a little bit less dark, right? A little happier, a little more put together. But all, all that leads to is shame uh, and hiding, masquerading as put togetherness, that phrase. Right? When we're, I'm just going to, I'm going to do it myself. But right, you're just hiding from the reality that things are broken, right? It's like my daughter, Leela, two and a half, she plays hide and seek all the time. She's like, Dad, let's play, let's play hide and seek, right? I'm like, go hide. She sits down right where she is and closes, puts her hand over her eyes. I'm like, I could see you. She's like, I'm hiding. <laughs> I'm hiding. I'm like, this, you're not hiding. I can see you, right? And for most, so many of us, that's what we do with God. God's like, I see you. I, I already know. 
you need to confess and repent. Right? Confess the darkness is in you, not outside of you. That I already know it. Right? Repentance is always an act of homecoming. It's always coming home to the Father. Realigning our lives around him. And religion, whether it's, it's you know, religious, um, religious Christianity, other religions, it just comes down to the, the law will save you. But it just shames you and guilts you. It can't deliver, right? Secular culture says you are the dawn, basically. <laughs> Go be the dawn, right? I'm sure there's some song out there. I am the dawn, right? You, you are the dawn. Embrace the dawnness within you. I am sure at some point I will see that book somewhere and I will say, you heard me preach. You heard me preach. The dawn is in you, right? What, what does that do? It just leads to, it just leads to self-slavery. Um, it leads to disappointment in, in everything in life, masquerading as happiness, as joy. Jesus does not come on the scene and say, everything is pretty fine. Just change a few things. Jesus says, the way to access the light the way to have access to this light is to repent and to realign your life into the kingdom that is coming. That's, that's what it says. Verse 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And here's the great news. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is coming regardless of if you repent. The kingdom of heaven coming is not built on your repentance. It's coming regardless. Jesus just says, you can either Get in that stream of joy and life and light and then be the light yourself and we can become the people pushing back the darkness or you can stay in outer darkness looking to and fro in gloom and in anguish. But either way, everyone will bow the knee. Everyone will bow the knee. Because once the sun rises, it never sets. It never sets. Repent. That's, the, that's the, the invitation here. Jesus, I love that. You see, the section starts with John the Baptist getting arrested. So on one hand, you're th I mean, we know the story, so it doesn't have that dramatic effect. But if you're in the moment, you're hearing this as a disciple, as a follower, you're thinking, John, oh, the Roman Empire is coming. They're cracking down. This thing is going. Jesus retreats to Nowhereville? <laughs> you're like, now is the time. Get the army, get the sword, get the white horse. I read that somewhere. Let's go. Jesus, I'm going to retreat. I'm going to go to this place that's been judged a lot. I'm going to heal some people, help some people, serve some people for three years. You're thinking, my gosh, have you read any of the books? Do you know? Do you even know? Why are you wasting your time over here in Galilee when you should be here? <laughs> and Jesus, just so, so intentional in what he is doing, saying this is the way the kingdom is coming. It begins with the arrest of John the Baptist, and then this section ends saying, from that time, right that moment, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's on the move. It's here. And it's coming right at the very place of greatest judgment and greatest shame and greatest brokenness. That's where it's coming. That's where it's actually breaking through. You know, speaking of uh, Leela again, because she's so good for illustrations and she can't object to him now because she's only two and a half, so it makes it easy to talk about her. Um, she, you know, and if you ever had young kids, you have young kids now, you know, Leela gets up at, you know, way too early in the morning 
And uh, my wife and I, we don't do this much anymore, but you know, when she would get up way before the other girls and uh, you could just hear her yelling, mom, dad, you know, and she's banging on the door. Like she's, you know, in a psych hospital or something, just trying to get out like, rah, 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 you know? And I just like would grab my wife's hand and I would just look at her and I'd just be like, so it begins. <laughs> and you know that like, she's not going back to bed, right? You go in there, any, any bribery, anything. No, no, she is up and everything now revolves around her, right? She is now in control, right? Your sleep, your life, your plans, right? Now, once she's up, right, the, it, the war begins <laughs> and you know it. And so here in Matthew chapter four, in a sense, Jesus says, so it begins, right? So it begins. They, the spiritual powers of evil, the darkness, they are going to do everything they can, right? We are in a spiritual battle, not just against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers that hates the light and wants to extinguish it. It's not just that we can't do it, it's that we have a power actively working against us so we won't do it. So we'll stay in the darkness, so we'll stay in shame, so we'll, we'll stay in guilt, right? Uh, they don't just arrest John the Baptist, they behead him. They don't just tell Jesus, quit teaching it, they crucify him. Right? They don't just say, disciples, just do it over here. Just, just. No, they kill almost all of them. Right? They, they aren't just okay to let Christians in Afghanistan keep practicing their faith. They're hunting down all of them. We know where you live, right? Moment after moment after moment, the darkness is trying to quench the light, but it cannot. It cannot do it. The light has dawned. It will never set. And so my encouragement to you this morning, look at me, is do not let your hearts be troubled. I spent 30 some odd minutes basically saying that. I hope. Jesus knows the intentionality of where he does his ministry, of how he does his ministry, of how the light that he knows. You remember when uh, they uh, hear that Jesus is from Nazareth and they say, can anything good come from Nazareth? Imagine what they said about Galilee. <laughs> can anything good come from Galilee? Can anything good come from all this pain? Can anything good come from all this in Afghanistan, all this in your life, all of this pandemic? Can anything good come from everything that we are walking through? Well, into that question steps forward a man who by his, um, by his life and his light and his love, by his weeping and his laughing, by his serving and his loving, by his living and his dying, by his rising and his returning, says it emphatically, yes. Do you believe? Emmanuel has come. Take heart. Let me pray. Our Father, into the heaviness of the moment, we cry again, would you come? Would we experience you as the people of God to be the light 
as you are the light, Lord. I take so much comfort in the fact that you know. And so we don't have to remind you of all that's going wrong. You already know and you enter into it with us, Lord. We acknowledge you in that. And so I want to pray specifically over everyone in this room, everyone watching right now. You know the Galilee in their life. And you walk right into it. And so, Lord, we long for more of you, for more of your kingdom, for more of your power, for more of your light, Lord. Help us not live in anguish and look to and fro. Help us look above for the light that has dawned and to be people of good courage in a world of deep darkness. Lord, we love you. Thanks for loving us through your son, Emmanuel. God with us. And all God's people said,